Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. For December, we did a series on the uh, first chapter of John, and then next week, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. So this morning, we're kind of in the middle, all right? So uh, this is not part of a series. We're just going to look at Psalm uh, 103 uh, together. So if you're willing and able, we're going to read Psalm 103 together. And sometimes when I look at a passage this long, um, I think, okay, can I shorten it or anyway? But there's so, it's so rich. So we're going to read the whole Psalm. So if you're willing and able, why don't you stand and we're going to read uh, Psalm 103, Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious And slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, but the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, You mighty ones who do his word, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the reading of God's word and every bit of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's a new year. 
Tomorrow starts the new year. And with every new year, we tend to look back on the year that's passed and we tend to look forward to the year that's coming. You know, we remember things that transpired this year. We rejoice over some things. Some things are very sorrowful for us as we look back. But we also kind of make some plans for the new year. Uh, We set some goals. We make some resolutions, don't we? But you know, one of the problems with making resolutions is that, you know, we don't always accomplish many of them, do we? Because life happens, you know, we get off track, we get busy, but very often it's because we just forget. We forget to follow through. We are forgetful people. Let me ask you a question. What did you have for dinner last night? Yeah, yeah, you forgot. You don't remember. Um, We forget to feed the fish. We forget to get the mail, to take our meds, to take out the trash. We forget our car keys, our passwords, our phone. And high school kids, high school students, they forget to do their homework. So who won the college football playoffs last year? Do you remember? Yeah, a lot of you forgot. It was the Georgia Bulldogs. Well, let's just go ahead and forget that anyway, all right? <laughs> let's also forget the game yesterday. It is staggering to realize that close to eight billion dollars a year. Eight billion dollars a year is wasted because people forget to use the gift cards that they got during Christmas. They put them away and they totally forget. Eight billion dollars. A pastor friend of mine told me a story years ago. He said that when each of his kids got to be about 10 or 11 years old, he would, he would, He would ask them individually the question. He would ask them this question. What is the most important thing that I taught you? And two of his kids said this. Dad, the most important thing you taught us was to always do what's right. But he said one of his other child, his third child said, Dad, the most important thing you taught me was that Jesus loves me. He said, oh, great. I raised two Pharisees and one Christian. One out of three remembered the gospel. The other two completely forgot. Do you realize that that all of your problems, anxiety, fear, dread, fear of rejection, fear of the future, suffering, all of those things can twist and make you distorted people simply because you forget how powerful the gospel is to apply to every area of your life. I've told my kids, I said, remember this, that the gospel is the most liberating power for all of life. And I want you to spend your life trying to figure out all the ways that that is true. Well, the mind remembers sometimes, but the heart forgets. 
Martin Luther said this. He said, we need to hear the gospel every day because every day we forget it. So take a sermon outline and let's look at this psalm together and try to see what we need to forget not. First, we need to forget not the benefits of the redeemed life. The benefits of the redeemed life. You know, I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to introduce you to the most influential person in your life. You. Nobody talks to you more than you. The formation of your life is dramatically influenced by your self-talk. What you speak to your own soul. What is the narrative you tell your own self? You know, when you're miserable, when you're frustrated, when you're upset, sometimes it is caused or made worse because of the way you talk to yourself about your miseries. And David, in this psalm, he's coaching himself. He is speaking to his own soul to remember, to soak in the rich benefits of the redeemed life. He's having an inner dialogue. He's speaking directly to his heart. He's trying to leverage the gospel to transform himself. In this psalm, he is speaking to his soul the benefits of the redeemed life because he wants to set his heart, his life on fire. So forgiveness and healing, redemption from death and love, compassion, good things. He takes the benefits and he turns them over in his mind and soaks them in his soul. So we're just going to walk through some of these in this psalm. First, he says, God forgives all your iniquities. You have to remember, this is David talking. David, who committed murder, adultery, Betrayed his friends, leadership failure. David is not talking about forgiveness in theory. He's talking about what he's actually experienced from God. Then he says, he who heals all your diseases. Do you know that every healing that you've ever experienced in life is from God? That God right now through the power of his word sustains your body being held together. Your breathing, your heart is beating because of that, because of his word. He sustains you. And he also heals all things in the new heavens and the new earth. All things will be made new. He heals all your diseases. It says he redeems your life from the pit. Now the pit is a reference to death. He buys you, he redeems us, he rescues us from death. Death does not have the final say on your life. You know, I came up to the pulpit this morning, you know, I'm about to preach here, and what do I have but Brandon's notes from a funeral he just did on the pulpit. Death for the believer is a comma, it's not a period. He says that David says that from the pit, from the lowest place of death, from the grave, God redeems you and he brings you to a place where, and this is what I love, he says he crowns you. 
He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy as a forgiven sinner. Now this image of God, of God crowning you with his love and mercy is, 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 uh, is powerful because he's crowning you as a royal daughter, a royal son. You who were once by the enemy of God, who were in rebellion, he crowns you with his affection. Then it says this. He says he satisfies us with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So our redemption, God's grace includes God tossing all kinds of good things into our life. Good food, good friends, good times, good wine, laughter, the sound of a newborn child. And they're not just good things, but good things coming from him. And to what end? What is the reason that God gives us good in life? This is because he wants you to feel like a kid again. He wants you to, to be able to feel like you're soaring like an eagle. He wants you to kind of be a little kid, like return to the sunny days of your youth. I've seen it. I've seen it in many of you. There's a woman in our church and I have known her for 25 years. And for 25 years, she has health problems. She also struggles with depression. And from time to time, we'll be in conversation and she'll come up to me and she has got her eyes are sparkling like a little girl. And she's telling me about some good thing that God has brought into her life. The good that your father gives you. He forgives your sins. He heals your diseases. He crowns you with love and mercy. He satisfies you with good things. He redeems your life. Don't you forget it. Don't you ever forget it. What you have in being made new if you belong to Jesus Christ. But you know what happens? You forget, don't you? You often forget. Now I'm going to show you a brief movie clip. And I've used this before. But you need this reminder so you don't forget. Now this comes from Les Miserables. This is Jean Valjean, the crook, the runaway, the desperate man. And he's been taken in by a priest and he has in the night assaulted this priest and stolen all of the silver from this priest. But he forgot to take the candlesticks. Watch this scene that you've probably seen before. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes, of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. 
Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. My favorite part of that whole scene is when the priest squares off with him and takes that hooded cloak and throws it down and says, Jean Valjean, my brother, don't forget. Don't you ever forget. With this silver, I have ransomed your soul. I have rescued you from fear and hatred and evil. And I give you back to God. Do you know that we do that with you all the time? Right here in this church, we do that very thing. Because when you come for communion, somebody looks you in the eye and you're a sinner deserving condemnation and we throw the hood of darkness back. We throw back the shadows and you stand before and we speak these words to you. Don't forget Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the gospel. Don't forget. Second, David wants us to forget not the bounty, the bounty of steadfast love. When I was a kid... Um, you know, there's some things in your life as a kid, as a memory, you don't ever forget. And one of them was, uh, I was one of five kids was trick or treat. And, uh, in my family, when you went trick or treating, my mom did not give us one of those plastic pumpkins. No, I didn't get one of those. She didn't give us a paper bag or with cute Halloween things on it to get trick or treating. She told us to go get the pillowcase off of our pillow. And we ran. In the Jones family, you didn't walk house to house. You ran to every house. And every house on every street gave away candy back then. Those were the glory years. There was no dark houses. And at the end of the night, this is the part I love. At the end of the night, all of us kids would come together and we would sit in a circle. We would take our pillowcases packed with candy and we would dump it out on the floor and just look at the bounty of all we had. And then we would just laugh at all the stuff we'd taken in. Like, can you believe this stuff? Look at all this candy. That's what David's doing here. 
He's dumping out the bounty of God's steadfast love. This word steadfast love is actually my favorite word in the Bible. It means unfailing covenantal relationship love. And David does not want us to forget it. But why is his unfailing steadfast love so important to remember? Because we all believe a lie. We all believe a lie that our worth, our value, our significance is determined by what people think of us or by what we do, our performance. That's a lie that we believe. Now, also when I was a little kid, I used to walk to school and it was uphill. It really was uphill. Not both ways, but uphill. And I would walk to school, particularly in elementary school, I remember this. And uh, gosh, so much anxiety. And this is what I would say to myself at the beginning of every new school year as I walked up the hill. I would say this, this is the year I fail. This is the year I will be rejected. This is the year they will find out I'm a fraud. Because I had a learning disability and I thought I was gonna be held back. It's gonna happen this year. This is one of the main default modes of the human heart is the fear and the anticipation of rejection. Now there's three people groups mentioned here in this psalm. Moses, the people of Israel, and of course David. And they all had very good reasons to fear rejection from God. <laughs> and so David just goes down through every possibility we're going to look at three truths and four metaphors briefly. First, suffering, injustice, and oppression. Anytime we experience suffering in life, we quickly think God has forgotten us. And many of the Psalms are written as prayers expressing this. Yet David says that God is going to work righteousness for the oppressed. You know, Jesus was rejected so that we would never be cast off. The greatest fear of a child is to be rejected by their parents, to be rejected by the father. Jesus was rejected by the father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was rejected so that no suffering and no injustice that you experience in life can ever mean that you're gonna lose his love despite what it feels like or looks like. Then David talks about discipline. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love, he will not always chide. He does not treat us according to our sins. God's loving discipline in your life can feel like rejection, can it? Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you a high maintenance person? Everybody here would say, oh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not high maintenance. I know high maintenance people, but I'm, I'm not high maintenance. Just like you don't think you're high maintenance, 
you also don't think that God needs to discipline you very often, do you? You don't think that you need discipline. But you do. You need his discipline. We don't ever think we need God's discipline, just like we don't ever think we're a high-maintenance person. But as being a child of God, you are a lot of work. You're a ton of work, but he stays with us. His discipline is not punishment. He does not treat us or interact with us according to our sins. Our failures do not cool his determination to love us. He never feels drained by you like parents do with their kids sometimes. Heaven and earth. It says as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love. Now, when my daughter, Sarah, Sarah's my oldest daughter, when she was little, we used to play this game together and we just fell into playing it, but we, we played it all the time. And the game went like this. I love you more than blank. And so we'd just go on and on. I love you more than a peanut butter sandwich. I love you more than, I love you as big as an elephant. I love you more than ice cream. And there was one day in particular, and and I can remember it with great clarity, like a video in my head. Um, And I'm not going to get emotional, okay? Um, But we were leaving church in Orlando, and she was little. And she was running out onto this field to go play with her kids after church, her friends after church. And I shouted out to her, Sarah, I love you as big as the ocean. And she turned around and she looked at me and then she looked up at the sky and she just did this. And she goes, I love you as big as the sky. And then she kind of winked at me like, ha, you can't top that dad. I mean, can you imagine God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, who has made you, has formed you, playing that game with you? Can you imagine such a thing? Well, imagine no more. It's through every page of the Bible. He's telling us how big his love is. And then it says, he says how high, then he says how far, how far is his love? As, as far as the east is from the west. Now, let me tell you, let me use this illustration here. Now, if you, if you run into somebody in the community that you've known, okay? You don't see them very often. And let's just say that at one time you had a little bit of a quarrel with them. Maybe it was a former boss or former employee and and, you know, it's been a long time now, but that quarrel happened and you're friendly, you're friendly with them in the interchange, but both you and that person know what? That quarrel, that disagreement is still there. It's still low burning. You know what the expression means to say that something is going south? You know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that you can be on the earth and you can be going north 
But as you go north, at some point, you're going to turn the globe and you're going to go south. Well, you know that's not true of going east to west. If you're going in an eastward direction, you will never turn the globe and then be heading west. You'll always be directionally going east. And what the psalmist is saying, what David is writing is, is that, is that you will always and infinitely be going and traveling east. So far he has removed any hindrance in our relationship. So no interaction with God can ever bubble up a smidge of rejection, a trace of coolness, an ambivalent expression can never be detected in God. There will never be a directional change in his affection for you, ever. As far as the east is from the west, Then he says, father to child. As a father shows compassion to his children, so God shows compassion. Now, every dad knows that his kids are kids. Every dad knows his kids are little, they're not strong, they're foolish, they're not wise, they're stubborn, they're not compliant, they make messes, they're not neat, they're too loud. You have to tell your kids constantly, put the tube, put the lid on the toothpaste, right? But the Bible here says that God, our father, knows our frame. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're frail. There's a little, little boy in our church for years. He's not little anymore. But every time he would see me in church, he'd come up to me and he'd go, you know me. You know me. And I always say the same thing, same thing to him. I go, I go, yeah, I know you and I like you. And he just run off. (laughs) God knows your frame. He knows how weak you are. He knows you're little and he knows you. And finally, grass. This last truth here um, might actually give way to you believing that God should reject you. Look what it says. It says, we are like grass and the wind blows over us and we are gone. That we are beyond temporary in the eyes of eternity. We are a wisp of smoke. We are not even a tick on the clock. We are are so temporary that we're like a bug hitting the windshield. That's how quick and insignificant we really are. Now, everybody, everybody has had this experience before. You're out of town and you meet somebody from another town, from another community. And you have a nice little interaction with them and you might even get their name. But 15, 20 minutes later, you've forgotten their name. You don't care that you don't remember their name because what do you know to be true? You're never gonna see them again. You will never see that person again. You don't give it any thought because it doesn't matter. That interaction was insignificant to you. How much more so are we You see, it makes, because we are a wisp of smoke in the eyes of eternity, in a hundred years, all new people, no one's gonna remember you. With that being true, why would God 
bother to remember you. But he does. We have to fortify our souls with his steadfast love, his stubborn, relentless, determined, pursuing, unyielding, everlasting, joyful, powerful, patient, long-suffering, passionate, unfailing, steadfast, covenant-keeping love. And in verse 17, the psalm is like a, a mountain guide climbing you along the heights of God's relentless love. And he brings you to the highest peak in the mountain range, one to which you can see at 360 in every direction. And he says, from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's unfailing love. But with all of this that's contained in the psalm, you still forget. You forget. Years ago, uh, Brandon was telling a story about a woman in our church named Pat Smith. And Pat was in a nursing home and she had Alzheimer's. And Pat um, was super involved in this church. She used to work in our bookstore years ago and just had knowledge of all the books and she could remember the authors. In fact, I actually bought this Bible from her. And uh, she, had, she had it engraved with my name on it. Um, so I think of Pat often. But Brandon um, went to see her. She had Alzheimer's. And, and to Brandon's shock, uh, he, uh, she remembered Brandon. And Brandon gave her communion. And she remembered what communion was. And uh, so he gave her communion and talked to her for a second and prayed for her. But as soon as Brandon said, amen, she looked up at him and she didn't know who he was. She didn't know that she had just taken communion. She didn't even know she was a Christian. And Brandon's heart said, he said, his heart just sank for her. She'd forgotten everything. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that though a mother might forget her child, the Lord will not forget you. What do you do with that? Well, you do what's in the third point. Forget not to bless his holy name. Forget not to bless his holy name. The psalm closes out as it began. He calls on his soul to bless, his, bless God's holy name. He realizes, though, he's not a solo act, that the angels and all people past and, and all of creation is praising and blessing his holy name. You see, it's a grave error. It's not enough to enjoy the gifts, the benefits of belonging to God and forget the giver. It's a grave error to separate the benefits of Christ's work from the Savior himself. For what we most truly receive in the gospel is not benefits, but Christ himself. So the psalmist is calling us out to remember above all to give thanks, to give glory, to give obedience, to give joy, to give worship to God. Let me show you something in Luke 17. I think I have this first, yeah. So Jesus has just healed 10 lepers. You might know this story. So this is where it picks up. He heals 10, says, then it says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back 
praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? I mean, this is a haunting question. Where are the nine? I healed 10 lepers and one comes back? Now, we all know the devastating effect of leprosy. It's a slow death. You lose everything. You spend your life alone watching yourself slowly die, cut off from everyone. Jesus makes all 10 well and only one returns to worship. Now, Jesus gives us a hint as why this was true. He says he was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. The implication is that the other nine were Jewish lepers who actually expected to be healed, that God owed them. They had suffered enough. God owed them. There were church people. They'd done good their life. God owed them a healed life. Look at 2 Chronicles. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefits done to him, for his heart was proud. So the other nine did not come back to bless his holy name because they were full of pride. They were full of self. You will not praise his holy name if you are full of yourself. In fact, if you don't bless his holy name with all that is within you in your life, it's because you're full of yourself. Because that's your focus. Some of you guys remember this guy? Who's that? That's Jimmy Stewart. The great Jimmy Stewart. This picture is from uh, a movie he was in called Shenandoah. And in that movie, his character prays over a meal with all his big family, like 10 kids. This is what his prayer is. Obviously, a a very Texas prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. Like I said, it's a Texas prayer. (laughs) What's he praising? He's praising himself. He's not praising God. He's praising himself. The psalm is calling us not to simply check the box of saying thank you, but blessing his name with all that is within us, that our most deepest and most abiding purpose, it's to our healing and to our joy and to the fullest and the wholeness of all of life to be worshipers of Jesus, to bless his holy name. God does us good to direct us to bless his holy name. Let me ask you this question. When you go to the ocean, when you go to the mountains, when you go out in creation and you behold beautiful vistas, ones that take your breath away, that cause you to pause and to soak it up, why do you do that? 
because there is greater healing for your soul and beholding the beauty and the majesty of creation than there is in simply beholding yourself in the mirror or beholding yourself in your smartphone or your social media platform. There's greater healing in beholding the glory. So God does us good by calling us to bless his holy name, to behold his beauty, his glory, because it brings us the greatest healing and wholeness in all of life. Seems like this one leper knew that. Do you? Where are the other nine? One leper returned. He doesn't answer the question. But it seems like that leper would have said something like this. Lord, I don't know about the other nine. All I know is I was dead and now I'm alive. And I had to come back. I have to bless your holy name. I want to show you a brief uh, news story. Watch this. Like, I wish I could, but I can't. And all I can do is, like, send my love to his family. She's alive. Um, Jack's alive and she's alive. It's her heart. This isn't about me. This is about Abby and and uh, helping other, other people in need. So this young woman, Abby, she saved four people's lives and only one returned to give thanks. The one who was given her heart You know, Jesus is alive and he is on the throne, but he lives in you. His heart beats in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may God prompt you, all that is within you, to live a life to bless his holy name. Because you needed a miracle. 
you had less than 10 days to live. And he shed his blood for you. Don't forget. Please don't forget to bless his holy name. To bless his holy name completes our joy, heals our soul, and brings us to our great aim to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for Psalm 103. We thank you for your word. And Jesus, if we need anything for 2024, we need to remember the gospel and its power for all of life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.